0: Jesus, uh, open up those verses to us in such a way that we could uh, discover more of the life that we are after. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, yeah. Hard to believe it's already 2011, and um, still writing 2010 on the checks, so it wasn't funny at 9 o'clock either. Um, <laughs> I'm really excited because we're launching a new series today, uh, and it's all about one of my favorite subjects, and that subject is community. We're talking about community, and I'm especially passionate about this, and I'm so passionate about it that I'm going to stop right now in my notes and go back to the first thing that it says in my notes, which is, hey guys, men's fraternity starts back up this Wednesday. Uh, we've got an AM session, starts at 6.30 AM here in S150. We've got a PM session, 7.30, same content, so you pick which one you like. If you've never been before, you've got to come. Uh, it's not too late. Join us for it. It's a fantastic experience of community. Going back to my notes, I'm excited about this new series. <laughs> it's a great topic, community, and it's something that none of us are experts at. Even the experts, maybe sometimes especially the experts, right? Because it's like the experts, they've got the most screwed up families. So this is something none of us really have a handle on it. But at the same time, life is all about community. It's all about community, which is really important. So in this series, we're going to be talking all about community. We're not just going to be talking about community. We're going to be practicing community, which can be awkward, at least for me. Maybe not for you, for me. We're going to take some very practical steps to engage one another, the people sitting right around us right now. That's scary. I know, right? We're going to take, uh, gather, uh, uh, engage one another as the church that's gathered, gathered in communal worship, and engage our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, our friends as the church scattered, the church that's in the community. Gather and scatter. You get it? Uh, so we're going to learn together as a community how to be a community, the leadership of this church knows this is important and they know it's important to you because of that congregational survey that we all did a while back where on some things, the church scored really, really high. Love this. The part that was not so good, community. It's hard for any big church, of course. It's hard for any big organization, of course. But there's room to grow. There's actually life here for all of us if we engage this topic. So we're going to do it. In fact, we're going to get down to that how-to level. Like how do we really listen to each other? How do we start some of those conversations? How do we even start to notice some of the folks around us in the, in the pews and the cubes next to us? All of that stuff. And to be clear, this is not a series just for extroverts. This is not about social skills and social confidence. It's not about that at all. So if you're more on the introverted side, don't worry. It just means you're going to get it faster than the rest of us extroverts. All right. This is about being included. This is about no matter what your temperament, no matter what your past, no matter what your current story, you are included in something bigger than yourself. But it takes some learning to get used to that and to enjoy that. So we're going to take some time to talk about today what it means to be a community. To be or not to be a community. That's the question for us today. So to answer that question, I want to look at two verses from the book of Romans. The book of Romans. And these two verses really are kind of an invitation to that life that we've always wanted, that life that we're always chasing, to that bigger story that we know deep down we were made for. These two verses are the invitation to those things. So, in order to explain what I mean by that, let me give you some context. The book of the Bible we're looking at here, this is written by a guy named Paul. Many of you know this, some of us don't, so I'm just going over it. Paul was a convert to the way of Jesus. He'd been this religious fanatic, uh, like persecuting those who were following Jesus, even to the point of death. But then he has this dramatic encounter with Jesus, and this dramatic encounter with Jesus changes his whole life. Jesus, everything that he values, everything that he does, everybody he spends time with. Paul's life was completely transformed by encountering Jesus. It's possible. Amen. In response to Jesus transforming his life, Paul becomes a missionary and an itinerant preacher and a a church-planting pastor. He just can't seem to help himself. He's discovered life in its truest sense, and it just kind of leaks out of him. He's just like, I got to share this with people. So one of the ways he shares this is through writing these letters to some of these churches that he's helped to start, and they make up a good chunk of the New Testament. And so here in this book of Romans, Paul is trying to show just how incredible, how incredible is the love of God, how just outrageous it is what he has done for us and what he's made possible for us, and how we can go about enjoying that quality of transformed life. Because it's one thing to sort of have an idea about it, but it's another to sort of step in and really experience it, really feel it. So prior to these two verses, Paul has built his case for just that. He's laid out every detail, kind of walked us through argument by argument how good this is, how we were so lost in and of ourselves, but because of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, we now have access to the biggest, most impactful life possible. We've been handed a winning lottery ticket, says Paul. Like, look at these, the, the case I just made for you. You've been handed a winning lottery ticket. Now it's time to respond. But How? And so that's how chapter 12, verse 1 starts off, with this therefore. That's what the therefore is there for, okay? So Paul has built this case, and he's about to make his main point. So he says, therefore, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of all this stuff that has happened, in light of all the stuff that I've just talked to you about, how incredible this is, how you just got a winning lottery ticket handed to you, in view of that, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, the Greek word for this that we interpret as offer actually means to present ourselves. To present ourselves. Ta-da! It's kind of, you know, that sort of thing, right? I'll explain more what I mean. I recently received notice from the Department of Motor Vehicles. You'd be familiar with their work, right? I received notice from them that I needed to present my car as a living sacrifice (laughs) to be smogged and tested and, if needed, purified in order to pass the smog inspection. So that's one kind of presenting yourself, and that's really the kind of presenting yourself we're most familiar with here on the east side. Like, you better prove yourself. Like, stand up and show that you are worth this. That's our kind of presenting yourself. That's not the kind of presenting yourself that Paul is talking about. The Greek word for, here, uh, for this implies um, showing up expecting something good. Showing up expecting something good. I don't go to the DMV showing up expecting something good, right? I just pray that nothing too bad happens. That's what it means to present ourselves. I'm here. My two-year-old son Ryder totally gets this. When he wakes up in the morning, he does like the little stretch. I kind of watch him on a little baby monitor there. And then he immediately starts saying, Daddy come. Daddy, 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 And it sort of goes from there. You kind of get the idea. He shows up expecting good things. His daddy's going to come. He's going to get him. A new day is getting started. This is a different attitude than I normally have in approaching life. I don't show up necessarily every day expecting something good. I often show up gritting my teeth and wondering if I'm going to make it today. This isn't a show up to the DMV and pray you pass the inspection kind of thing. It's something more like, hey, come by the lottery office today and bring your winning ticket with you. We've got a massive fortune to hand off to you. You should bring a U-Haul. Paul is telling his readers, look at all that Jesus has done. Because of his sacrifice, there is now no condemnation for those who make their life in him. No condemnation? We can't even hardly fathom that. A lot of us walk around feeling condemned all the time by parents, bosses, peers. What do you mean no condemnation? And everything that happens can be used for our good. All the stupid stuff we've done, all the things that have happened to us, all that can be used for good? Yes, real life is possible, and it's to be found in Jesus. You've won the lottery, says Paul. Come, claim your winnings. Therefore, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, if you won the lottery and you never went and picked up the winnings, you would be what I like to call a stupid person. (laughs) Right? It just wouldn't make any sense. Why would you do that? Paul is kind of saying the same thing here. You have won the lottery. Jesus has ensured it. Just show up and present your bodies, your whole selves to him in order to collect these winnings. But then he goes on. If you do present your body as a living sacrifice, life will actually start to make sense in a new way. It will take on new meaning. You'll start to see more clearly about what matters most, about the directions you need to move, and you'll experience more freedom in that movement. Wouldn't that be cool for 2014? Some clarity about our lives and some freedom in movement. Life at its fullest and highest quality has been open to you. Just come. Come and get it. Just bring everything that you are, every relationship, all your work, bring it all. Come and get it. That sounds pretty good to me. Maybe it sounds good to you too. But you might be thinking, that's great. What does that have to do with community? I thought we were talking about community. Well, it doesn't have anything to do with community. And it has everything to do with community. And I'll explain why. These two verses aren't made... Of course, to stand alone. They're that hinge. They're that turning point. And from this turning point, Paul takes the rest of his letter, the rest of chapter 12 and then 13 and 14 and 15, and he explains what it means to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. He details it out. Here's here's how to cash in on that winning lottery ticket. He teases out what it means to show up expecting something good. He's actually going to show us how to do it how to cash that winning lottery ticket that we've already been given. And do you know how he explains the whole thing? How he details it all out for us? He talks about community. He goes, if you want to cash this in, if you really want to experience life to its fullest, the life that I've already made possible, community. I'm going to teach you how to live in it, how to be it. So starting in verse 3, Paul spends the rest of his letter talking about how learning to be a community is the way that we cash in that winning lottery ticket. Just look at some of these verses, starting in verse three. Don't think of yourself as better than others. Verses four through eight, we're all members of one body and each of us has an important role to play. Verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. Honor each other above yourselves. Verse 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality even to strangers. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Verse 18, live at peace with everyone. And on and on it goes for three more chapters. Paul's saying, in light of this incredible thing that has happened, be a community. This is the way to cash in on that winning ticket. It's not how we get the ticket, remember. We can't do that. Jesus did that work. Jesus does that work. But to cash it in for the rich stuff means learning to be a community. It's in being a community that we can experience life at its fullest. The life that we're actually after, the life that we're actually chasing can only be experienced in a community centered in Jesus. It's in being, community, being in community that we come to make sense of ourselves and our life direction. We can't do that on our own. It's in being a community that we overcome evil, says Paul. Everything from those silly bad habits we've sort of resolved to end and we've now failed for five days in a row. Even those things, right down to deeply rooted racism and genocide. All that stuff is made possible to be defeated in community. In fact, it's in being a community that the rest of the world comes to see Jesus more clearly and decide, yeah, I want that life too. Life is all about community. But if you're like me, you often forget this and still try to make life work on your own. I don't really want to bother anybody. Nobody needs to know my stuff, or they seem to have it together in a different way. Like, why do we do that? Why do we forget so quickly that the quality of life we want is not possible on our own? Yeah, but maybe it'll work for me, so I'm going to try to build it on my own. I think the why is simply because it's hard, right? There is no harder work than relating to another human being. Right, wives? (laughs) Husbands? Anybody, like any human relationship. And I I said that I'm passionate about community, but I should also say I'm terrible at community. Always have been. Seems like sometimes the more I learn about human relationships, the worse that I get at them. Right? Right? I didn't even start to understand community until I was around 30 and I was invited, and by invited I mean kind of bullied, by a group of guys to join this small group. And they called themselves Dudes5, which made no sense because there were seven of them. (laughs) They were all Stanford grads, they were all brilliant, good-looking, well-dressed. Meanwhile I had gone to a small Cal State University, wore flip-flops, was a mess fashion-wise, still true. I wasn't, I wasn't like a fish out of water. I was a fish in outer space. Like, I just didn't fit in. I, and I had no social confidence, especially with these guys. It's like, they, they must be missing something here. Or they, like, they're doing somebody a favor by bringing me in. I don't know what this is, but I showed up because they kind of bullied me to do that. And sometimes we have to be pushed overboard in order to find out how fun it is to swim. But over time, over the next few years, I as I just kind of was with them in their different stuff, as they were with me in my stuff, life began to open up for me in a whole new way. Never understood how lonely I had been prior to that. Didn't even really have any sense of myself until I had these other mirrors, trusted mirrors who could reflect back to me. Hey, buddy, here's your strengths. You've actually got something here. And we're for you in it. And the stuff that's the weak spots, we love you anyway. We're gonna help you through that stuff. This was a radically different thing for me. Radically different thing. And it opened up life in a whole new way. Relationships are so messy, so confusing. We have our deep insecurities about what people think of us. It all prevents us from taking advantage of community. We often get up to the counter at the lottery office and then think, Ah, it sounds fun to be rich, but it also sounds like a lot of work, a lot of responsibility. I'll go home and study some more about money. I'll go to the new church's teaching series about money. They talk about this. I'll go pray about what God might want me to do about money. I'll wait a little longer and see if someone else goes first to claim their money. I'm not sure it's worth all the effort, right? And so we wait, and we wait, and we wait to fully commit to the best life possible because community, it just seems too hard, too scary, too confusing, too messy, too potentially painful, and you know what? It is. It's all those things. but. It's really possible, and it's really worth it. It's actually possible, and it's actually worth it. Even for those of you who have been coming here for a long time and don't feel like you belong. Even if you still feel on the outside, this is for you. I've been on staff my whole time here, and it took me me a long time, a couple years, before I started to feel like I fit in a little bit, like I belonged a little bit. It's hard to do that. But it's possible, and it's worth it. It's worth the investment. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to carry around this winning ticket for the rest of my life, and not cash it in for the best life possible, which comes to your community. So I want to leave you with these three principles that I think can help us take better hold of the life that we're after by better understanding what it means to be a community. I'm just going to go through these real quick. The first principle is this. Community isn't found, It's made. It isn't found, it's made. It doesn't just happen. Maybe in college, it happens a little bit. Maybe on very rare occasions it just it just happens. You just end up sitting next to your you know kindred spirit and it just explodes from there and it's wonderment. But but for most of us, and most of the time, community isn't found, it's made. It's intentionally sought out, initiated, risked, created, built. Spending time together, those conversations that might begin awkward, might continue awkward, might end awkward. I don't know how it is, but that building history together, investing ourselves in building community, coming to find that actually we're part of a community. We already belong. We're already included because of what Jesus has done and because of what he is doing. Community isn't found, it's made. That's the first principle. The second one is this. Community isn't built with special events. It's formed in the rhythms of ordinary life. Now, special events have their place. Those can often be a catalyst for community, of connecting with people, of of building some history. Hey, remember when? And That kind of stuff is so good. But ultimately, community, as, as Jesus desires to make it, is formed in the ordinary rhythms of life. The working together, the serving together, the sharing meals together, that's especially important. Community isn't built with a series of special events. It's not something the church can just program and just make, and oh gosh, I didn't find community there, so I need to move on to the next place, and hopefully I'll find community there. It's like, make it. You're invited. None of us feel like we belong, so let's just all be awkward together. Come on, let's do this. Community isn't built with special events. It's found, formed in the rhythms of ordinary life. That's the second principle. The third and last one is this. Community isn't convenient, but it's worth it. If it's one thing we know about human relationships, they are not convenient, like in any way. Any parent will tell you that. Any son or daughter will tell you that. Any parent of a parent of a parent will tell you that. Like just relationships are so inconvenient. They'll mess up our comfortable little lives and thank God that's why he sort of gave them to us. It'll mess up our little lives and in return, give us a much bigger, better life more meaningful, more impactful if we're willing to cash in. The life that you're aching for today, that bigger story that you know you were made for, you feel it. And sometimes at the beginning of a new year, we especially, it's like, this is the year, 2014. I've been saying it for like decades, but this is the year. Paul is saying, don't be discouraged that maybe this hasn't felt like the year for you yet. Don't give up. Don't give up. The life you are aching for, it is possible, and it is worth it. And Jesus wants to use a community to help you get there. So in other words, he's asking us, will you be a community? Will you be a community? We're going to spend uh, the rest of the series talking about community and getting into some of those how-tos about how we can be a community that is both good for us and good for the world. And I hope you'll stick with us through this series because I think that God wants to do some pretty cool stuff. That this is one of the things that He wants to use to unlock revival, not just in these walls on this campus, but throughout the East Side, throughout the Northwest, throughout the world. I believe this is key. So I hope you'll stick with us. God has much to give you. And I think that He wants to show you, especially, that you are not alone, that you actually belong. you're included. So Jesus, first off, we just want to say thank you for doing everything it took to make possible life in the fullest. Thank you for that. We ask that you would guide us as a community to learn how to be a community. And God, there's all kinds of physical space restraints and there's schedule restraints and there's all the ordinary stuff of life. But God, that's the stuff that you use. So God, we give that to you. We bring our whole selves. We bring our bodies as this living sacrifice. God, would you teach us how to be a community? We are your people. You are our God. Show us how to embody that in everything we say, we think, and we do. Amen.